Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn and I'm Sarah Callen and the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today we are so excited because we are going to be reviewing and discussing um, the Netflix documentary called In Our Mother's Gardens, and we are joined by not one, but two very special guests today, Elisa and Daisha. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, sure. I'm Elisa. I, um, I'm from Dallas. I currently work at Right Now Media. It's a Christian media company. I work there as a writer and content editor. And yeah, I'm married. I've got a stepson. I think that's all the important things about me. <laughs> These are so cute. <laughs> I can't. I'm Deja. I am also from Dallas. Um, in the daytime, I work as a strategist at a PR agency. And all the other times in between, I am working on my platform, Hustle and Soul or school. I am a student <laughs> at Fuller Theological Seminary based in California. That is my life. Amazing, amazing. We are so excited that you guys are with us today and that we just get to spend time and talk about this, this work and this piece. And uh, I've been really excited for, for this today. So thank you guys for being here with us. We're excited. All right, so Sarah, do you want to do a little uh, IMDb summary for the, for the piece? Sure. In Our Mother's Garden celebrates the strength and resiliency of Black women and Black families throughout the complex and often humorous relationship between mothers and daughters. All right, and then in sweet tradition, we will start off with our one-sentence wall summaries for the film. Uh, Elisa, do you want to kick us off? Um, I guess this was kind of, uh, I don't know, it was kind of hard for me to just come up with like a one sentence mm -hmm. situation because there was so, yeah, it was just so much in the, in the film and there was a lot of recurring ideas. So I just wrote down that to me, the film was about identity and the impact that our lives have on generations after us. Mm. Yes. Yes. It was hard. It's hard. Some weeks I'm like, uh, how do I keep this succinct? <laughs> it's tough. It's hard. It is. It is. Good thing we have all the time after this to really dive into all the pieces, which will be great. Yeah. Yeah. Daisha, do you want to go next? Yeah, I feel like, you know, Elisa's is more refined than mine. But <laughs> being honest, my sense was... It is a glorious sneak peek into the 52 tabs I have open inside of my mind. <laughs> that was amazing. Wow. wow. I love it. I like that a lot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm also a multiple, many, many tabs open person too, so. I feel you, Daisha. Right. <laughs> right. Same. So many things. I mean, you don't want to got to go and find where that site was again all over again. You might as well just keep it there. <laughs> just keep it open. It's not hurting anybody. I'm the only one that closes all of my tabs. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the weirdo in this bunch. But that's good to know. I'm learning a lot about you guys today. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, Sarah, what was your sentence summary? Uh, my sentence was pretty simple. Uh, it's just black women are badasses. Hey, so yeah. I felt like that summed it up pretty well. <laughs> Sarah, you won. Four words. You summary. win the prize. Look at that. <laughs> I love it. My summary is what I would want to tell someone who hasn't seen this yet. Grab a seat on the couch, settle in, and just soak in the grace, resilience, and wisdom from this group of incredible black women. Oh, I love it. I love that so much. All right. Well, let's dive in to our thoughts about this documentary piece. Where do you start? All right. <laughs> Let's start with how about what are the parts that really resonated with you and that stick out to you? Like after the piece is finished and you're sitting there, like what what really hit home for you guys? Um, I mean, I I think overall, and obviously we'll we'll get into a lot of it later. Like a lot of the really big overarching like ideals those did stick out to me. But for me, I really enjoyed just some of the simplicity of the stories that the women told when they're like literally just talking about how their grandmother used to do this and they do that as well and didn't even realize that it was some, you know, random personality trait that was passed down because I'm so obsessed with genealogy mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. ancestry. Like, this documentary literally made me feel like my bones were on fire. Like it was just <laughs> so, <laughs> I was telling my husband, like, this is the best thing I've ever watched because if I'm not at work, like my main hobby is diving into family history and talking to my grandmother about all of the things that she did when she was younger and why she does those things. And she'll sit there and tell me about her grandmother. And so sitting and watching other people do literally the same thing. It was just the simplicity of that that really intrigued me at like a base level. But also, I just, you know, Mama Coco is amazing. Oh, I love her. I loved her. And, you know, I think I think one particular thing, I really enjoyed the conversation about rest Mm -hmm. and how it's so hard for a lot of black women to really just sit and, and be okay with rest and it just reminds me my cousin tells me all the time like because I tell him how tired I am all the time and he always tells me like you need to rest because we were not allowed to rest before like Mm -hmm. some of our ancestors like their wildest dream was to be able to sit down and if you're tired (laughs) you need to sit down you know so that I really enjoyed that part I think it was like the second half of the film I really enjoy that conversation. I love that part of the conversation too, especially I believe her name is Teresa when she was saying that as black women, um, our work and our worth is seen in our bodies. Yeah. And like how we labor for others. So we're not celebrated or validated until we are working or doing something for other people. And not just that broadly, but I love how they also talked about how that shows up in our personal relationships, whether that's like as a mom or as a wife or yeah. an employee um, and just how it impacts us all. And I loved how they talked about 
I don't know. So there's this like concept of like privilege that's being discussed a lot right now, especially from the context of white privilege mm-hmm. or light skin privilege even. And I think a lot of times as black women, we don't really dive deep into like the certain privileges that we hold, even within our community or just as black women. And so I love how the, oh, I can't think of her name right now, but the director of the documentary, she was saying that it's a privilege that we can even talk about self-care or indulge in self-care because the women in our families, they just had to survive. Like there was no concept of indulging in rest or a nap or sleep or taking it easy. And we have the privilege to do that today. And so I've been challenging myself a lot lately to think about the privileges that I have, even as a black woman who doesn't have a lot of privileges broadly mm-hmm. um and that's one of the one of the quotes that stood out to me and has stuck with me since watching the documentary yeah yeah that was one that I wrote down and I actually like paused the documentary just to kind of sit in that for a second because you know I'm I am not a black woman but just thinking about my friends who are black women and just getting in that mindset of wow throughout history that is how Black women have been viewed and their value is so tied to who they are caring for. So it's like, wow, how do I better care for my friends? How can I better honor my friends who this is their legacy? Um, So that was one of the lines that really stood out to me. And then the other one that made me, again, have to like pause the documentary and just like sit in for a second was uh, when they went through, it was like the little ad or whatever that said rest is reparations. And I was like, oh my God, it just kind of blew my mind, like such a different way about thinking about not just rest, but also the concept of reparations. And I feel like both of those things have been so twisted um, in our culture and something like reparations can be as practical as how can we help people rest? How can we help people better steward their bodies, their minds, their their souls, you know? So there, there are a lot of little nuggets like that that I've just kind of been mulling over uh, for the past couple of days that really, really stood out to me. So true. And I think one of the things that really struck me um, is how much uh, self-awareness, but also vulnerability, each of the women was able to invite us into and, and bring us into in recognizing these, but also uh, recognizing in themselves ways that they can lean into that. Even you, Daisha, like talking about wanting to uh, bring that practice of rest and and recognizing areas of privilege that you have compared to previous generations. Like it's it's just so inspiring and incredible to see these women who have have really invested in figuring out those dynamics within themselves, within their within their families, and what the values that have been passed down are, and then which they want to continue on forward, and which they are redefining or uh, thinking about in a different lens um, as they move forward with their lives into the next generation. So good. I love this documentary a lot. I love all the pieces that you all pointed out too. And I think there's something to be said about all of us kind of being drawn to this idea of like what it looks like for a Black woman to indulge in self-care 
I think because since that's such a large conversation that's being had on social media, pop culture right now, thinking and also like in the context of this larger civil rights movement that is happening or continuing through like the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that happened last year. I think it's a unique time to think about these larger conversations, how they pertain to Black women and how we have to navigate through them in a completely different way than Black men or white men or white women. And how, (laughs) it's just kind of funny how every conversation just ties back to institutional racism, (laughs) like white supremacy being the fabric of whatever. Like, (laughs) it kind of sucks that if, if you sit with it, the root is always racism and now trying to navigate through these different systems or ideas and find how they work for us specifically as we still live in a racist environment. Yeah, I I agree. I um you know, for for people, especially non-POCs who really are trying to like go deep and figure it out and ask the questions, like I do see how frustrating it can be when it seems as if somebody is quote unquote making it about race, but the topic just seems so frivolous or so small or it's not this overt racist ideal that somebody would say, but it really is. You can you can always tie the really small idea back to something that started out with racism. And it sucks. And, you know, as much as you can understand why somebody would feel frustrated with that, like, oh, oh my God, why is everything... Why? Why is everything about race? But it's like, even on the other side, for those who have to live through it, it's just as, it's just as frustrating, you know? And so I think that this documentary in particular, everything, uh, I think it was Jen that was saying it earlier, like, like the vulnerability of the Black women and, and how they were telling their stories. And there was just this softness to everyone and how they were presenting their mm-hmm. story and showing just how self-aware that they are and um, how much they love their ancestry, despite all of the issues that um, the people in their lineage had to uh, go through. But I think watching it and hearing the stories and seeing just how, um, just how much racism in general has infiltrated the small pockets of life. I think it was really eye-opening and it probably could be really eye-opening for somebody who is not used to hearing things from that point of view. So I feel like, I feel like this documentary did a lot. You know, they were, they were asking and talking about very specific things, but if you were really listening, you could hear a, a whole entire different story underneath as well. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of those little things that really stood out to me was when um, one of the women, she talked about that going to see her therapist is a form of self-care. And that was just, 
I don't know, that like really hit me. Like number one, yes, going to therapy is self-care. Absolutely. We need to talk about going to therapy is healthy. Going to therapy is good. But I think especially in like for people of color to be able to talk about going to a therapist is a good thing and it's a healthy thing. Like that just really, really struck me. It might seem like a little thing, but I love that they were able to put it into context that their mothers and their grandmothers weren't able to do something like go see a therapist. But now these women, they are able to do that. And that is how they are taking care of themselves, but also setting it up for another generation. So again, it's that subtext of, wow, this this thing, going to therapy, which is huge, but there's even more to it if you're really, really paying attention. And like you said, Elisa, every single topic that they they covered had more of those layers, depending on how far you're willing to dig into it. Listen, I need all the therapy. Right? Okay. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I need all of the therapy. Sign me <laughs> up. I am tired of being strong. I am tired of it. I just want to be weak and tell you all my problems and then yes. go sit in my bed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I feel like this documentary was creating space for us to just do that, like, even as viewers. Yes. To just, like, release. Mm-hmm. And kind of be nursed through listening up to other women speak about you know how they're struggling with self-care or navigating you know trauma in their families and trying to break generational curses um I, I feel like it gave us a safe space to just kind of hear and see ourselves through the women that were being interviewed and I think what I love specifically, just continuing with this self-care topic and the layers here and how they addressed everything so beautifully was how leading up to this conversation about self-care, you can listen to them talk about the ailments and like illness in the bodies of like their mothers or their grandmothers that stem from being in survival mode, having to take care of everyone in the household not really having outlets to talk and release and just expel a lot of the issues that they're feeling in their bodies outwardly or the places that were safe spaces they had to do this, like church, they couldn't really do it because of respectability politics or keeping up with the Joneses and trying to give the appearance that you and your family had it all put together. So they kind of had to console themselves and that shows up physically. And so it's like, how can you even think about mental self-care when like your kidneys are shutting down <laughs> or you have to get your legs amputated because you are physically like sick and ill. And then you can't really be of help to anyone else. And when our identity and value is so wrapped up in what we can do for other people and that's taken away from us physically because we were taking, <laughs> taking care of other people, um, it's kind of like what's left, you know? And so I guess the bigger piece that I took away from that was this idea of just making sure that I leave some space for me and I have time for me and I create safe spaces for myself and have hobbies that I don't monetize and find things that make me happy that don't require me to be attentive or serve anyone else 
Because if that's what my identity is wrapped up in and then it has negative consequences on my body and I'm no longer able to do it, it's just the cycle of like being helpless and kind of being trapped in your own body as well. So I love how they address that like indirectly. Yes, I all of what you said, I think, is just. You you put it so beautifully and all of what you said even lends to the other idea of how they're basically saying this is the way in which black women from 1619 have had to be strong in order to remain alive you know so there's this part of you that's that's watching it and you can see the positive side of like wow these women were so strong they did so much just to survive just so that their kids could survive, you know, with maybe a little less anxiety, you know? And so you look at them, you're like, wow, strong. But then you see the consequence of having to produce that kind of strength over and over and over, generation to generation to generation. And you see that the consequence is it produces all of this anxiety, these ailments, this like, no, I don't, I don't need to go to therapy. I just need to push through because there's no time for that. I can't do that. You know, I don't have my, you know, and it just, it's that double-edged sword of what I think black women, especially over the past two or three years of the dismantling of what it means to be a strong black woman. Because when you hear that, you think of a good thing because everybody wants to be strong, you know, but then when you actually break down why that, like where that phrase comes from anyway, you start to see like, Okay, but the reason in which we had to become strong black women is really like kind of yucky. Like it's too, yeah. you know, it's kind of yucky. It's not sexy at all. It's not, you know, and yeah. it's and so you don't want to revel in this like I don't know. It's just like I said, it's like a double-edged sword because on one end, yeah. you see your mom and you see your grandma and you're like, "Oh, they're so strong." But it's like, "But why? Why did they have yeah. to be so strong?" <laughs> it's like you hate the reasons that they had to have that strength and what you said it reminded me of this quote I was listening to Michelle Obama's podcast um where she was talking about like self-care and resilience and all of that she quoted Michelle Norris who says the strong black woman trope is a cement necklace that's meant to feel like pearls and I like literally it lives in my head rent free (laughs) what rent free because in the world (laughs) When that's reinforced all day long, yes, and you feel moments of sadness or weakness or depression or anxiety, you don't feel like you can sit with those feelings. One of the ladies on there, she talked about how, like, with her grandmother, it was like, you can have your moment, but you have 24 hours and we have to keep it moving. That is my granny. That is my granny. (laughs) Like, I... I have women in my family who embody that, like, you got a short period of time, you got to keep it moving. Or I remember even in college, when I was dealing with anxiety and stress, my boss was a black woman. She was one of the only black women who worked um, in the dean of students office and even in that building. And so there would be times where I just would come in and you could see on my face, like, I'm having a rough day or I'm sad or I don't want to be here, but I'm trying my best. And there was one moment where she pulled me to the side and was like, 
I know you got it hard right now, but you cannot come in here looking like that. Like black women to black women, you cannot come in here in front of these white people looking sad or like you got an attitude or like you don't want to be here because as much as you don't want to hear it, like it's going to be hard for you to bounce back from that if someone takes it the wrong way. And that perception that they have and take from your emotions, it gets um, put onto me and all the other black women who work in here. So I know you don't want to hear it, but we got to get that together. (laughs) And so I just go to the bathroom and cry and then come back out with like a smiley face because as irritated as I was that we had to have that conversation, I know she's right. And that is also a conversation that lives in my head rent free as I've transitioned from college to work. And like a lot of times being one of few or the only black woman on the team in the spaces that I'm in and it's so it's like you don't you you have to be hypercritical of how people perceive you because for whatever reason we have to like be a representative of the entire black race and every black woman who's ever walked the earth wherever we are um and you just you're just taught you have to be strong even through conversations like this so it's like when do you get time to rest when do you get time to feel? When do you get time to do these things? Which is why um, the concept of like rest as reparations that was presented in there, the founder of that, she has a ministry called the Nat Ministry that is all about mm-hmm. Black people resting and like, yeah, and like decentralizing from um, capitalism. And Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think about all of this a lot because I carry a lot of stress in my neck and my shoulders and it just doesn't seem to go away. No matter how many massage appointments I go to or go to the chiropractor, any of that. And I find because it's like Monday through Friday, I'm holding all this tension in my body and like almost holding my breath and waiting for the weekend to have a little moment of relaxation. Um, and that comes from feeling like I have to be strong at every moment during the week that I'm engaging with somebody from family to friends to coworkers. Which just makes this whole documentary and these women so much more incredible in light of all of that, because they're, they had such strength as they were speaking, but it was this like you, I think Elisa, you'd mentioned this, there was this softness and this tenderness and this vulnerability that they were, you felt like you could see them burying their souls, but it was out of this place of work that they've done to invest and and understand their triggers, understand the the burdens that they maybe had been carrying that they shouldn't be carrying anymore. And there was this I don't know. There's this also this joy that they also had, um, this this quiet joy that was just so apparent, and uh, we we somehow just got to get invited into that space where they were able to share that. Um, so just hearing both of you talk about so much of what is the pressures and the burdens and the the values that have been placed upon you, this documentary feels like such a, a miracle and, a, and a, a beautiful piece that is flying in the face of some of those um, traditional versions of what strength looks like. I think another thing that I loved about this documentary specifically that I am absolutely passionate about is navigating and exploring the duality of Black women. 
that is like my favorite thing to do and talk about because I feel like because of respectability politics and just trying to be safe and successful in the country, there is like an archetype for what you need to look like and act like um, as a black woman to achieve success and safety or to maximize how much you experience those things. And we are not a monolith, like at all, even in our subset at the intersection of black and womanhood, like none of us are the same or like we might share a lot of qualities you might see on social media when there's like, I don't know, a topic trending and it seems like we all just live the same childhood. But those there are a lot of nuances and I love how they explored that. And one of the ones that resonated the most with me was whenever they were talking about like the cookie baking grandma versus like the spicy, fiery, gambling, gambling grandmother. <laughs> That's definitely my life. Like my mom's mom is sweet as pie, literally lives in the kitchen, has a TV in there watching her soap operas, cooking all day. Like you come in into town, text her your menu. She'll cook your favorite dessert if you're over for longer than two hours from scratch. Like, she is sweet as pie. And my granny, on the other hand, she can't cook to save her life, which is so funny. But she's, like, dressed to the nines. You will never not catch her in the finest, like, heels, something from Nordstrom or Saks. She loves to host parties. She loves to have people over. She's very involved in her church, but you will catch her gossiping about the people at her church. Like, <laughs> and she has she cusses like a sailor, but she's so beautiful, very short, like maybe five foot one. Um, and she's very much like, we don't have time for emotions. We got to get it. We got to hustle. We got to make sure that we're the best of the best. Whereas my mom's mom is more of the grandmother who creates space for you to talk about your anxiety. Or like, I remember being a little girl. I didn't know what they were, but my heart would just beat really fast and I would breathe really heavily and it would come out of nowhere. Later on, I found out like, oh, that was a panic attack. But I remember her like coaching me through them, but not making me feel like something is wrong with me for that happening, you know? So I just love that duality because I do feel like I'm the perfect blend of both of them. Like, I'm very short. I'm short-ish. I'm petite. (laughs) I'm spicy. I mean, I cuss a lot. Um, (laughs) But I'm also very, like, just gentle and nurturing and caring. But I also love to host and throw a damn good party. So I don't know. I just love the way that they were given that freedom to talk about the good and the bad with the grandmothers. You need to think about your elders, the people that you come from, and you feel like you can only speak of them in this honorable, bright light and not really shed light on any of the negative quality qualities that they might have had that maybe could have been traumatic for you. But in the good and the bad, it makes us who we are. And I think that was like the overall point of this documentary. And I love the way that these women were given the space to be able to talk about it in a way that was real and authentic and like makes me feel like it's okay to say like, oh, my granny be gossiping about everybody, but she got a good heart though. Like <laughs> so she'll take care of you. Come stay over. She, she has not lived by herself in the last six years. She's a single woman. She's always taking care of people and they stay with her at her house money, like whatever you need, you'll get it. And I, so it's kind of like what they were saying. They show you through their actions that they love you, even if they aren't saying it. 
Um, and so I love that we got to hear about the legacies of all of these mothers and grandmothers and aunties, like through the women in this documentary and get to see a little bit of our own um, ancestry in that. I love that so much. I, lo- I loved hearing um, all of the women in the show ha- uh, do the same thing, talk about mm-hmm. uh, how different their grandmothers were. And it was nice, like Deja said, it was nice to hear them all say, like, I had this one grandmother that was this way and one that was that way. And actually, this one hurt me a lot, but I still love her. Or like, like they've gotten to this point to where they can actually acknowledge their grandmother as a separate person, like as their own woman and love her for that woman she is and the impact it's laid on, on their life. Uh, you know, cause sometimes even when we grow up, it's uh, you kind of have certain ideas in your head and you feel like certain people are supposed to remain a, a, the same way. But then you get older and you realize like they had their own struggles. They had their own mm-hmm. issues. They had their own things they were dealing with. They're their own separate person, you know, and the impact that they had on your life is not necessarily reflective of the impact they had on everybody's life. You know, their husband is going to see them differently the way that you do. And you're going to see them differently the way that your mom sees them. And, you know, I just thought that was, I thought that was really interesting, you know, it made me think about how different, you know, my grandmothers are and my great grandmothers and, and everything. I love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So is this the part of the conversation where we can have a little fangirl moment over Coco though? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that they didn't like, they really left the footage as it was. Like they didn't feel they need to cut it. Like you were just spending time with her and they gave us all of it. I loved that. It was, it was so great. They should have your fangirl moment. (laughs) I love her. No, I love her. I love her. I love her. I love her. She is just so funny and so real and like not removed from modern times, but you still feel like you are speaking to someone with so much wisdom who's lived so many different lives. And I was so obsessed to the point where (laughs) I followed her on Instagram, (laughs) y'all. Oh my God. Did she have an Instagram? Instagram? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, her we're about Instagram to go all follow name, her. So Okay, no, you have to. You absolutely have to. Her Instagram name is Compton Arthur, like author of a book. Her get her bio. I am a free woman who runs with Jaguars, an artist and the writer of the novel, The Second Line. Like, whatever that means, <laughs> what? I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> but I love her 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 page is just like pictures of her jewelry but I loved getting to follow her and being introduced to her through the documentary because you see her in these old pictures with like Toni Morrison was like her homegirl or you see her like hanging out with Maya Angelou like you just get to see so much of her life and her teaching and um her religious affairs and activities throwback pictures and then you see her posing like with two young dudes in one picture who are like her sons who she taught in school and so I don't know I just really love being introduced to her and getting to keep up with her and really get more of a backdrop on like who she is and why she was so important or why she has a perspective that she does um in the documentary but she was my favorite absolutely so I loved how real she was 
and just honest and forthright in everything that she was saying. And it was cool to see her talk about like her mother and her grandmothers being gambling women and like how culture, um, Creole culture, New Orleans culture has really shaped who she was and who her family is. Because even as she talks about them, you can literally see how she embodies all of that. Yeah, she was so interesting. She was one of my favorite parts, just sitting there listening to her just talk about (laughs) whatever it was that was coming out of her mouth. I just was like, I could sit and listen to her talk about soup and it would just be Mm -hmm. so interesting. She was was great. And every time she put on a new bracelet, she would just act like she was about to punch somebody. Every bracelet was like a weapon. (laughs) She was just like, this one's if you want to slap somebody. (laughs) And then like models it, how you can slice a neck. I'm like, I know that's right. (laughs) And she had a story behind everything, you know, like that was the coolest part. I feel like that's so much of the way that we spend time with people is like, you're just, she's cooking and there's a story that she's telling us she's cooking. That's something, something about something she noticed in her kitchen or the specific dish that she wants to tell you about. I love that. Mm-hmm. And she had all these great little one-liners too that I just loved. Like when she was like, "These aren't accessories; these are necessaries." And I was like, "Yes, girl, you talk about your jewelry like that. That's amazing." Or I think it was the slapping bracelet that was a weapon. She was. She said, "Bring some, get some more." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's such a thug!" And I loved it. <laughs> and I just, I like you guys are saying, I just wanted to spend more time with her. And I was so shocked at how much time the documentary devoted to just hanging out with her in her house you know watching her put on her eyebrows or cook soup or whatever it was and it was just so wonderful to be welcomed into her home in that way because we don't see things like that you know in a documentary people go to a studio and it's nice and it's polished and all of these things but with Dr. Coco she just she is what she is and that is perfect and she uh she was just my favorite yeah me too i mean and she reminded me a lot of um i want to say she reminded me a lot of my grandmother they're not the same at all like my grandmother is the complete opposite of her but in the way in which she just had a story for everything. Like she would start talking about something and it would remind her of something else. And she had just all of these really cool stories, like how it opened with her. And she was like, I can't remember if she said it was her grandmother or her great grandmother, but she was like, my grandmother was a millionaire and she did this. And she was a personal stylist for this person. As soon as she went into that story and just started, she just had all these stories. I was like, man, that reminds me of my gram. Cause my gram has a story for everything. I've literally, I have literally told my grandmother, like, I need to write a memoir of your life because it is crazy. She was a model all throughout the 60s and 70s, but sometimes she would just casually be like, oh yeah, I dated that person. And it'll be some like huge rock star from the 60s or like, you know, or oh my God, so casual. Or she'll like one time she said, I know this is like a rant, but she used to work the front desk at this hotel. It was one of those really nice, like popular hotels in LA. Cause she's from LA and you know, all the stars would come and like get the penthouse suite or whatever. And so she was used to seeing people, but she said that one day she went and got on the elevator and Smokey Robinson and the miracles got on. They were like, you're really pretty. Do you want to come take photos with us? And she was like, okay. 
And they just walked her across the street with them to their photo shoot with Cy DeVor, like these people that make really nice suits and stuff for stars back then. And she was like in their promotional photos because (laughs) they got on the elevator and were like obsessed with her. And she was just kind of said it like, oh, yeah, you know, he was really nice. And I was like, (laughs) ma'am, come on. You know, like, but she just pulls these stories out of her pocket like they're not a big deal. And every time Coco would talk about something, it was just so exciting. I just wanted to sit and listen to her talk forever. (laughs) It just reminded me so much of my grandpa. I love it. Yeah, she's such a great storyteller. And that reminded me of what she was saying, like, you can't be Black with a short memory because you're singing a long song. So even as you talk about, like, your grandmother and all the stories she tells you, but it's like, you know, it's important for us to have these conversations and sit down and just listen to them tell stories about their past, no matter how how big or small, because they really fill in the gaps for us with like history, what we know, what we don't know, what was hidden from us, like what we aren't taught. A lot of those gaps are filled in by what our ancestors and our elders tell us and so I think she like her role in this documentary was to embody that and I think about like with my grandparents like I knew they grew up in South Carolina my grandmother in Alabama my granddad and they live in New York they lived in New York for a long time so I didn't know much about their life in the south and so one day I was on FaceTime just talking to them about it and I found out that when they were kids like they picked cotton like slavery was no longer but they still picked cotton. They had a farm. Everything that they ate, they had to kill and cook that day. Um, so to think about like my grandparents, I feel like they're so young in spirit, but at my brother and sister's age, they were picking cotton in fields. You know what I mean? It fills in those gaps for you between slavery and like civil rights movement or today. And I think that's like the great part about storytelling. And it is important for us because we don't have a lot of bookkeeping or just any accurate ways to tie our history um, to now before before the slave trade and before we came over here. Like there's a lot that we don't know. So our lives here are kind of like the starting point as far as what we're able to track things back to. Um, which sucks, but I think that's just all the more why we need to spend time with our mothers and our grandmothers and learn about their past, their histories, and as far back as they can remember about their mothers and grandmothers to fill in those gaps and be able to make reason for why we are the way we are, why we look the way we do, and learn more about like what is the trauma that is in our family and why do we all kind of, you know, struggle with the same things or um, love the same things, scared of the same things. Like, yeah. what is all of that about? And you can only really learn about that through having dialogue with your elders. I love that so much. That I honestly, I think that's why I'm so passionate about uh, genealogy and just archiving as much as I can about um, my family. I, I love to do genealogy for other people too, but like, I just think it's so important to get as much information as you can from as many family members as you can. Because on one hand, it's just important to know what's going on in your family lineage. You know, that's why whenever you go to the doctor, it's called a a family medical history because 
you might be dealing with something. And then you find out that, you know, your grandmother and her mom struggled with some illness and it gets passed down, you know, like it's, it's not necessarily something that people make a big deal, but you know, that's, that could be an easy conversation if you're, if your grandparents are still alive, you know? And so I just think it's really important to, you know, ask those questions, get as much of the really casual stories, but also the really important stories. And I also think it's just fun to, to, to see things in yourself or in your mom and then find out that, you know, somebody way back when literally did the same thing or felt the, you know, felt the same way. I recently found out, like I used to, I used to wonder why I was always so tired, you know, and my mom was telling her mom, you know, Lisa's been struggling with fatigue most of her life and blah, blah, blah. You know, my mom is kind of a tired person too. But then, you know, my grandmother was like, well, I have to take, I have to get B12 shots because all my life I've been so fatigued. And I found out that my mom had to get B12 shots. And she's the one that told me that her mom (laughs) used to, you know, like, so I'm finding out that like my great, great grandmother struggled with like fatigue to the point of like, there was something wrong, but so many generations in between, Mm. or at least me and my mom didn't realize it. And so I'm calling all of my female cousins who struggle with the same thing. Mm-hmm. And all of them in the group chat were like, bruh, what? Is that why yeah. we feel the way wow. we do? <laughs> now y'all gotta have a girl's date to go get some B12 shots. <laughs> I know! <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that's so crazy. I had the same exact experience a couple weeks ago, um, or maybe a month ago, where I was having really bad stomach pains. Um, in reactions to anything dairy I was eating. And I, like, the only allergy I had that I knew of was a tomato allergy. So this really threw me off until I told my mom, I was like, you know, I think I'm lactose intolerant. And she told me to describe what I was feeling. And I did. And she was like, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. That happens to me, too. And I'm like, so is it, are you lactose intolerant? She's like, yeah, I got it when I was around your age. I'm like, what? (laughs) And then so we called my grandma and my grandma's like, yeah, I got that around like 23, 24. Um, I'm like, so was anybody going to warn me or was this just like a rite of passage? Like, I don't understand. But Stuff like that is so interesting, even with like anxiety. And I think too, just having the language now and um, the urgency to figure out what's going on with our health and be proactive and preventative in certain ways that with our generation and then our moms taking note from that. And then our grandmothers, if they're still living are taking note from that. So now I can have a conversation with my grandmother and she's able to have the freedom to express like my depression was bothering me today, or I'm starting to feel anxious, or I think I have adult ADHD, you know, conversations and things that they didn't really have the liberty or freedom to be able to say. Yeah. Um, they do now because of us, but I think it's the cyclical thing of them creating space, you know, in their work and us watching them getting us to a point where we can. And now it's like this boomerang effect. And so as we grow older and learn and heal, we're giving them the opportunity to. So just like we stand in their shoes and have all of these benefits because of the work 
that they have done or just the trauma that they've had to live through. So we have the opportunities we have now. I think it's beautiful that as we take advantage of these opportunities, um, they get to indulge in them as well. And so it's like all is not lost or, you know, their struggle wasn't in vain. I think about that a lot too. Actually, yeah, I hadn't thought about it from that lens, Daisha, but I think you you really said it well, but it's it's actually not a linear uh, generational passing down, but cyclical. Like they are seeing the way that you you are able to model some of that and being able to express some of that, and they are also being able to share in that together with you. Um, I think I thought of it, you know, generational things passing down, and you know, linear from a linear perspective, but it's actually more cyclical. That's really that's really amazing. Yeah, I love this documentary so much, guys. It's so good. It's so, so good. Yeah. Um, I think one thing, too, at least for me, growing up in the South, missionary Black ch- Baptist Black Church, like all of that. Um, and I, I think I appreciate it even more now that I'm like in seminary, too. But I love that they explore traditional African religions. Um, or in, or how some of those elements took root in like place in the everyday lives of their grandmothers and mothers, because I mean you'll hear a lot of people say like Christianity is a white man's religion, which you can have your own opinions about that. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but I do have just an interest in like what were the traditional religions, um, what are the similarities. Um, I don't know. And how, like, you know, you might see a statue in someone's home or a mask on Coco's jewelry or certain rituals taking place and not really having context for it. And I don't know, I kind of get sad because I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if I have any tie to that because I don't know much about my African roots and history. So I love that she incorporated that into this documentary, not as a scary thing or not as a one or the other thing, but just as much as the women were talking about their roots in church and that being a safe place for them, they did the same thing, but also like a little bit of an educational piece on traditional African religions. And so I love being able to see, again, that duality and nuance when it comes to Black women, because Chantrell, that's the name of the woman who did the documentary. Like she's from New Orleans and she's very like witty and has like kind of a smart mouth, but she's very educated and she belongs to a Black Greek organization. But also she um, is she is part of I think she's I believe she's a priest in the same tradition, traditional African religion as Coco, which is why their like bond is so tight. And you just got to see them chill with each other. That's what I learned during my research. Um, but then they hear Coco talk about, you know, I practice this certain religion or these spiritual spiritual practices, but like I went to a Baptist church and the way those people were moving and it was in their body, like, I believe that. Like that thing is real, you know what I mean? So you get to hold both at the same time or see black women hold two truths at the same time. Whereas I feel like growing up, it was like, Jesus, this church, like anything outside of that is witchcraft and of the devil. And, you know, have your thoughts about it, but. I just never really got to experience or listen to or watch Black people who were not Christians live life and have these spiritual practices integrated into their daily life. And so I think it's a little bit of like you fear what you don't know and you don't have to subscribe to it for it to be someone else's truth. So that's something really special that I think she did with the documentary that I love getting to watch, even with like 
um, I can't think of her name, but the professor or doctor who's the Puerto Rican woman talking about her grandmother when she lived in the Bronx or the woman from Antigua talking about the spirituality in her home. Um, and she's like from the island. So the diaspora and the way spirit, spirituality and religion um, is a constant in all of our lives as Black women, but it does look different. And that's not, that's not a category that we usually get to be different in living in America. I thought it was great that they tackled that too. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to see it from a documentary point of view instead of like, uh, we're portraying this particular African religion in this movie or in the media this way. You know, like people say like, oh, well, we actually don't really look like that or we actually don't really do that, you know? So it was, it was interesting to see somebody just kind of like say, this is what I do and what it looks like for her just in her house or in her community or whatever. And I think even with that, like you, Deja, I was really, uh, I don't know, like I was really captivated by just the interconnectedness of it all. You know, like my even, you know, the, how, how I interact with my family and my traditions, the few that we have are very, very different than what was portrayed in this documentary. So just to be able to see the, the interconnectedness and how, how faith and spirituality really influences how they do everything whereas in like the the white christian tradition you know everything is compartmentalized and everything has has its box and then even like with family you know everyone is interconnected and what i love so much about both you and deja and elisa is that like you guys are so you know these stories of your family and you're constantly seeking them out and there's such a deep connection to your people and and where you came from and and you know how you became you that i have never experienced and so just to see it in this documentary was so beautiful to me and i was just captivated by the beauty of these black women and these families and just how they live their lives you know the the good the bad and the ugly the the hard stuff but also the beautiful stuff but even as we're talking here, like I'm even realizing that all of that beauty that I was so captivated by while watching was still a response to trauma and a response to slavery and white supremacy and racism and all of that. Like there needed to be this interconnectedness of everything so that they could survive, so that they could pass down stories, so that they could preserve traditions, so that they could have hope in the midst of all the just shit that they were going through. So I I am just so amazed at how this documentary was able to beautifully balance these stories and tell them in such a personal and vulnerable way. Invite us into these families, invite us into these generations without shying away from any of it. You know, if whatever it is, you know, these, these different religions that we might not be accustomed to or have heard of before, or these parts of history that we might not want to focus on, or these difficult things between mothers and daughters, like it wasn't afraid to go there. 
And I just, oh my gosh, like you, Deja, the more that we're talking about this documentary, the more I just love it. And like, (laughs) I just want to go watch it again and just sit in these stories because our stories are so, so powerful. And I'm just, I'm so glad that this exists. Yeah, I agree. I feel like you said all of that beautifully (laughs) and really just like the art and I don't know, the art of storytelling. It means so much, especially for the preservation of like our history our pride and helping us to not only continue traditions, but also just dismantle the shit that like doesn't work for us anymore and find a new way. Like, how do you know and do these things without, without these types of conversations, without these types of stories? I don't know. I think about that a lot. And I just love that that documentary gave me the space to be able to do that. And I also love that, like when one person shares their story, more people have an opportunity to share. So like even like these women were able to share their stories on this documentary and then we're able to have both of you here on the podcast for you to share bits of your stories as well. You know, there's just something so special about storytelling that I feel that we don't talk about enough. So true. One of the things that uh, as I was watching that I was thinking about that I was hoping we would get to talk about is who are the women in both of your lives. But actually, it's kind of just come organically. Um, you sharing about your grandmothers and your mothers and and all of that. So I love, I love that. Any other last thoughts on this? I'm sure we could keep talking about this forever, but any other last <laughs> thoughts that we wanted to talk about or touch on about this piece? before we wrap up I just loved it I can't wait to see what else they put out Mm -hmm. I love the safe space that was able to come to life through media or like film um I really got to engage with this documentary in an emotional way that I typically don't get to with documentaries so I'm just really thankful for that and all of the different women that we were introduced to in watching it (laughs) And, um, yeah, I think if we are looking to, or your listeners are looking to continue, um, learning about the women or any of the topics presented, like they do a good job keeping up with the documentary. Um, and then the, they link or tag the founder of the documentary and a lot of their posts so you can keep up with what she's doing. Cause she continues a lot of this just in her everyday publishing and work and then also which I think will be helpful for all of us just in our pursuit of self-care is following the nap ministry they had their little snippet that was really cute (laughs) um in the documentary but following them too as well or maybe like action items like coming from our discussion and watching the documentary that could be helpful to us in our everyday lives Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't even, we could talk about it all day, but I mean, I've, I've watched this documentary like three times already. It's just so, it just, it just literally (laughs) filled something in me that I didn't know that I needed. It's just so enjoyable to sit and watch it over and over again. So I suggest that if you have not, if anybody has not seen it, please watch it. You don't have to watch it three or four times like me, but you can watch it. Go watch it, definitely. Just soak in it. Just get ready to soak in it. Yeah. And then I'm also I've been intrigued about how 
people discover great art and and pieces like this because there's so much content out there right now. It's crazy, like choice overload. But how did y'all discover this piece? And because Sarah and I got a chance to watch it because you've recommended it. But how did you guys originally stumble upon this piece? Oh, I watched it and I was like 30 minutes in. I was like, this is all Elisa. Like, Elisa needs to watch this today. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that I like blew her up with voice memos and texts. Like, you gotta watch this. Cause I know you like genealogy and you'd be on ancestry.com all day and da 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 da. You gotta watch it. It's on Netflix. You have Netflix. (laughs) But I found out about it actually. Someone posted a screenshot of, I believe, a review, maybe in New York Times about it. And um, she is Afghan, so she's not Black, but she was just talking about how much watching it meant to her and inspired her and encouraging anyone who followed her who was looking for something new to watch to explore it. And um, I had just finished watching High on the Hog, so I was kind of like, you know, I want to watch more Black documentaries and things like this. Um, And so came across it at the perfect time, and now I can't shut my mouth up about it. I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Thank you all for listening. And this was our review and discussion of In Our Mother's Gardens. You can find it available on Netflix and we can't recommend it enough. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. And thank you, Daisha and Elisa, for joining us and sharing your stories and your perspectives and just sitting with us in in talking about this. It was really, really such a blessing. All right. Well, this podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection. And it's something we continue to do each week because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment. And we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your day. As Deja mentioned, find something that you absolutely love to do just because you're passionate without needing to monetize it or or grow it or anything like that. Something that you just love. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at Strategic Whimsy Experiment at gmail.com. Deja and Elisa, if people want to connect more with you or follow your some of your work and stuff, how can they do that? Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, my handle is at emerald, like the color, emerald favor, F-A-V as in Victor, O-R. And um, the ministry that I work for is called Right Now Media. Um, it's a Christian media company. We provide um, video Bible studies that we produce alongside pastors. So you can go to that website if you are interested in signing up. Um, or at least telling your church about it because you can get a full subscription to your church. Beautiful. I'm on Instagram at Deja Riley, D-A-I-S-A-H Riley on Insta. And you can also follow my platform Hustle in Soul um, on Instagram at hustle.soul. And that is just a lifestyle platform meant to help explore and celebrate the duality of black women a lot of what we were able to talk about today so yeah give me a follow awesome well thank you ladies this was so wonderful this is really really beautiful Woohoo! thank you Woo-hoo! thanks for having us we should do it again soon mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> absolutely 
All right, well, we will be back next week to discuss the film Reminiscence, really like the other side of the spectrum, a roll left turn here. Uh, we hope you have an amazing week, and we'll see you all very, very soon. Thank you.